want to start a brand new series called Real Identity. And if you want to follow me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll get there in just a moment. About 15 years ago, the Department of Homeland Security passed the Real ID Act, which went into effect October 2020. The Real ID Act was designed to establish minimum identification requirements for certain federal-related purposes, most significantly being able to board an airplane. So the idea behind it means that you're required to provide documentation to verify that you are who you say you are and who Uncle Sam has confirmed you to be. So I've been thinking about the significance of that term as it applies to our true identity as children of God and how that affects our self-image, what we think about ourselves, what we feel about ourselves, and how we relate to others. So this morning, we're going to begin this new series I call Real Identity. And the purpose of this series is to help all of us discover who you are in Christ, how to fully become and how to fully live as the person God made you to be. Every now and then, you hear the story of somebody who isn't all they appear to be like Sarah Jane Olson. You'll see her picture. She was born Kathleen Soliad during the post-World War II baby boom. In the 60s, she moved to the West Coast to attend college and pursue a career in acting, and eventually she got involved in the radical politics of the Symbolese Liberation Army, and she participated in various bank robberies, acts of violence, including murder. After she was indicted for her crimes before she could be arrested, she went underground, fled to Minnesota, adopted an alias, and lived as a fugitive for more than 20 years. And during that time, she married a doctor, raised a family, became active in community projects, and lived a very affluent life. And then her past, her real identity caught up with her. In 1999, she was arrested and ultimately sent to prison. You know, from time to time, you hear stories like those of a person who spends their entire life pretending to be somebody they're not in an effort to avoid coming to terms with who they really are. I don't know how it was for Ms. Olson during those 20 years. Did she feel like a phony every day of her life? Probably. Did she live in constant fear of being found out? No doubt. Though her story is a little bit extreme, there are a lot of people who live their lives in a similar fashion. Now, they're not fugitives from justice, but they're fugitives from themselves, from the ugly past, from the sins of their past, and their failure, and their hurt, and the pain they've endured, and the shame they've experienced. And on the surface, it may seem like they're living a normal life, even a charmed life. But underneath it all, they know they're just one slip up away from shattering the facade they're living. Now, we all have an image of ourselves, an image that we try to project on ourselves, or an image that we allow others to project on us. Sometimes the image is accurate, sometimes it's not. So this morning, I want you to see that it's not who you think you are or who others think you are that matters. That's not how you determine your real identity, who you are, who you really are. That's determined by what God declares about you. This is what this series is about, and it's the focus of this morning's message. 
So we're going to look at one passage of Scripture that's foundational to understanding who you are in Christ Jesus. And the three characteristics of your life in Christ, the ones I want you to see, are true whether you feel it or whether you don't. Whether or not you recognize it or others recognize it, it's still true. You are, or I am, who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I have what God says I have. I sound like Joel Osteen here, don't I? <laughs> I don't have the teeth, though. I'm sorry. But it's still true. And most believers hadn't got a clue. These three characteristics we're going to look at, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, number one, you are, this is so elementary, you are a new creation in Christ if you've accepted Jesus. Becoming a Christian is not about turning over a new leaf. It's about being given new life. You're not upgrading old software. It's a brand new installation. This is something that book publishers and music publishers have known for more than a century. If you release a book or an album with a brand new cover, generally there's likely to be a surge in sales especially if the new cover is more attractive than the old. The text between the covers of the book hadn't really changed. The music hasn't changed, but the new cover, cover makes it seem new. You also see this when they say new and improved products, which really means nothing more than new and improved packaging. Same old stuff's involved. Christianity is not repackaging you. It's a total new mix inside, total opposite. It changes me on the inside. It makes me brand new throughout. Salvation is not a tune-up of my old self. It's a brand new operating system. Before Christ, the Bible says I was dead in my trespass and sin. And when you received him as your Lord and Savior, you were made new in him. So listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, it didn't say if you're in church, it didn't say if you were a Baptist, Methodist, or Catholic, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Your old man has passed away. Behold, the new has now come. So when you accept Jesus Christ, a new person, a new creation, takes up residence inside of you. This person is the new you. It may look the same on the outside, sound the same, and sometimes struggle with some same old stuff. But you've been made new, which means the direction of my life has changed, my potential has changed, and my reason for being here has changed. I'm a new creation. You know, speaking of still looking the same on the outside, I remember hearing the musician and songwriter Chuck Gerard tell a story. He got saved in the 60s out of the counterculture. And back then, there were so many in the church who could not accept the fact that long-haired hippies could be Christian. He's, I know, I know. You can't even believe one's a Democrat or a Republican or independent today. It's, it's just as dumb as, a, as an old frog. You know, I don't, I don't know how the church, it does as well as it does for as bad a job as we've done about what Christianity is or isn't. Yeah. So he sang one evening at a church, and afterward a lady came up to him. I met some of these. I'm so glad God cleans you up on the inside, Chuck. 
Now I'm praying he'll clean you up on the outside. Oh, Lord, help me. This was a common sentiment back then in the 60s. See, but we can't make the mistake of thinking that salvation is just whitewashing the exterior. It's an in, I mean, the religious Pharisees look good, white robes, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. But on the inside, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. Yeah. So this is why Paul said in Colossians 2, chapter 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. That's the law. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The law, the Mosaic law, for 1,500 years was given to Israel. And for 1,500 years, they couldn't keep it. Don't do this, do this. Wear this, don't wear that. You couldn't mix polyester and cotton. You couldn't eat this, touch this, smell this, do this. It was up and down, taste not, touch not, bells and smells, and keep this day. And nobody could keep it. Nobody. And God intended nobody could keep it. So Jesus comes along and keeps it. And then he says, now I'm taking the law and I'm fulfilling it. It's good. Nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. <laughs> but you're not. So I kept it. Now I nailed it to the cross. Let's pretend that pulpit's a cross. I nailed it to the cross, taking it out of your way as a means of coming to the Father. So now you come through me or you don't come. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One. It isn't Mary. It isn't Paul. Or These are wonderful people. But only one kept the law perfectly. And then he says, now, I'm going to nail it to the cross, and you don't have to come through the law to get to me. You come through Jesus. And that, that is one of the most amazing good news proclamations ever that I rarely hear Protestants or Catholics talk about. Jesus said, I took it out of your way. The law condemns. God, through Jesus, gives us grace and mercy. And for you legalists out there, Paul makes this really clear, almost with a smirk. If you break one part of the law, you are guilty of breaking all of it. And if you keep one part, you got to keep it all. Not one person does that. Not one legalist can do that. So you don't want to mess with the law. I'm coming to Jesus, right? And, and the church is filled with legalists. But I am justified by faith in Jesus through no work of my own and declared righteous because of what he did, not what I do. Now, when you do something good, that's great. Nothing wrong. It just doesn't make you righteous. There are heathen that live better than some Christians. I mean, these, these are pagans. They don't believe what you believe, and they're better people. Maybe they're moral. Maybe they're generous people. But that's not what makes me righteous. What makes me righteous is Jesus, period. And it's so, it's so simple, people stumble over it because I want to earn it. I want to deserve it. I want God to say, oh, yeah, well, I got a whole list here. Looks like you got about 95%. You're in. Doesn't work that way. He says, all your good works are as filthy rags to me. Wow. Try that in church. So that leads us to the second foundation characteristic of my life in Christ. 
Number two, I have been reconciled to a relationship with God. Reconciliation. This means that you've been made right with God, but not by your own doing, out of what Jesus did. And here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, not through Joseph or Mary or Paul or Peter or Timothy. Through Christ, he has reconciled us to himself. The ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. God loves you so much that in Christ, he wants to be reconciled to you and does not want to count your trespasses against you. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad. I don't want him counting my trespass. I think back over my life, oh, dear Jesus. I, no, 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 no. He says, don't worry. I don't even want to count them against you. I want to reconcile you with you through Jesus. I love that. So we'll talk about the ministry of reconciliation in a second. But right now, focus on the reconciliation you and I have received. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Now we've been made alive in Christ. He canceled the debt that stood against us, the law. Remember the law? If you break the law, the wages of sin is death. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to take my sin away so I wouldn't have to suffer the punishment. And Jesus did just that. He who knew no sin became sin so I could be made righteous in God. This... You know, it's so simple, people can't get it. If I, got, if I got up and gave you a list, people would say, beat me some more, beat me some more. I feel better. I felt so condemned and guilty. Beat me some more. They just love captivity. And Jesus said, I came to set you free. You're not made right. And I want you to do good things, but that's not going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you righteous. Now, there are some who insist they owe no debt. They have never done anything that requires forgiveness. Oh, yeah. I've heard people say that. But when you look at the brokenness of their lives, something doesn't quite add up, does it? There are some who say, I don't need a God to forgive me. Well, let me see what your ex-wife has to say about that. Let me see what your children have to say about it or what your friends and co-workers have to say about it. The Bible says we're all in the same boat. All have sinned. And it's beyond impossible to redeem yourself because you can't fix your fallen nature. Uh, sin means to miss the mark. The mark is perfection. Has anybody been perfect? No. You've missed the mark. Now, we haven't all missed the mark like Adolf Hitler, but we've all missed the mark. Now, you can miss the mark a millimeter, or you missed it. You can miss it a couple of feet, but you missed it. You can miss it a mile, but you've missed it. So it doesn't matter how close you were if you miss it. See, if I, if I go to the morgue and there's three people dead, one of them's been dead a month, one of them's been dead two weeks, and one of them's been dead one day, which one is the deadest? They're all dead. So we all have sinned and come short of God's glory. So I can't fix myself. I can't redeem myself. And regardless of the image that we may have tried to project to the world around us, the fact is, without Christ, we're fugitives from justice. 
And like Sarah Jane Olson, we might have been able to fool those around us. But when we looked deep into ourselves, we knew I can't escape who I am. I owe a debt I can't pay. Now, for this reason, Jesus took my place. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of any work you've done, so no one can brag. You remember when the Pharisees in the temple, Jesus was standing back here with some of his disciples, and the Pharisee, oh, God, I thank you. I'm so good. I'm so perfect. I tithe. I give all that I have. I've never been drunk. I've never defrauded anybody. Oh, dirty liars. They were all crooks. But that's, they boasted in what they hadn't done. And then the old publican over here, the old ex-mafia associate, the made man, <laughs> said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified, born again, anew. See, one boasted in good works. One said, I got nothing to offer you, God. Have mercy on me. That's what the thief on the cross cried. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How hard is that? Jesus said, okay, Sparky, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, that'll just tick off some legalist, wouldn't it? Until you're guilty. And then mercy sounds pretty good. Yeah. does to me. Mercy and grace. So here's what I'm saying. You, you, might, you have been made right with God. All the mercy you need, all the forgiveness you need, all the grace you need has been poured out upon you, lavished upon you, is the word Paul uses in Ephesians. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But it was given to us anyway. I didn't earn it, but I was given the opportunity to receive it. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, not normally on your reading list, Lamentations, says, His love knows no limit, and His mercy never ends. The Bible says it's new every morning. Ah, I love that. Isn't it interesting in Romans 8, Paul says there's no condemnation to those in Christ, and all the enemy ever does is accuse you, accuse you, remind you of who you were, what you did wrong, over and over. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Jesus came and took my shame, my guilt, and my condemnation, and was judged, killed, dead, buried, and then raised from it and says, now I've paid your debt if you'll come to me. I've taken that on myself. You will not. Don't ever say when somebody's having a tough time, God's judging you. No. He'd send you to hell if he was judging you. If my, <laughs> Chrissy's over here, if my daughter, when she was a kid, threw a baseball and knocked out your windshield, the judgment would be $250. Now, I might spank Chrissy. I might ground her, chastise, but I couldn't judge her. She ain't got 250 bucks. Well, she does now, but she didn't. So daddy had to pay. So I can't pay with a perfect life. I don't have one. So Jesus said, I'll pay. I'll pay the debt for you. Okay, that's grace. Now, God says, whom I love, I chastise, but that's not judgment. Don't ever say that to your kids. God's judging you. That's not true. God's judgment was poured out on Jesus, and now he offers grace and mercy. If you die without Jesus, then you get judgment, but not now. 
That means every day I can wake up and say, today I am right with God. Not because I am good enough, but because I have been made right through what Jesus did for me on the cross. Imputed righteousness. In the past, you may have been a fugitive from justice, a fugitive running from your past, but in Christ, I've been reconciled through his sacrificial death on the cross to God. He's not mad at me. I've been made right with God through him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul goes on to say, For our sake he made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you've ever said, I'll never be good enough to make up for all the wrong I've done, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You can't make it up. So God says, I've paid that debt. You don't owe a dime. You are in a right relationship with me. We used to sing a song when I was uh, in the church years ago as a kid. I remember Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, etc. Remember those old, that was a good hymn, doctrinally a great, he paid it all. Why are you trying to pay it? I'm just trying to make up for what it did. You can't make up for it. Except the fact it's paid, move on and learn from it. That's all. I, you know, God gives us a lot of commandments like, Lord, save my marriage. Well, wait a minute. You screwed it up. You have to fix that. God saves you. But to get your marriage or your money or your health, you have to do something. He paid it all for my redemption. But if I'm going to be healthy, if I'm going to live in a marriage relationship for 45 years with the same woman over to my left, I got to pay. God says, you, you picked her out. You married her. That's the one you chose. You make it work. I paid for your redemption. I didn't pay for your marriage. I didn't pay for your finance or your health. I've given you keys and principles to prosper, to do well. Now do them. That doesn't get me to heaven. That just gets a little heaven on earth going for me. Does that make sense? Sure it does. Well... Most Christians will still try to judge you for that. Okay, here's the third foundation of a Christian life. Number three, you and I play a vital role in the purpose of God. In verse 18 and 19, Paul says that God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Two things, I have been reconciled and I should be preaching reconciliation to others that God loves them and wants to be reconciled with them. So in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So he's talking about his ministry and his message, the message of reconciliation. And he's talking about you and me as well. This is our work, our ministry, our message to let those around us know that God is ready to be in a right relationship with anybody, no matter what may have happened to them in the past. So he uses the term ambassador. And we know what an ambassador is. It's somebody who is sent by our government to live in a foreign land and to represent our country to which they're from, uh, to represent it in a foreign environment. So we have embassies and ambassadors in other nations that represent America in that, uh, that building. 
So if I'm in, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm in uh, Iraq or somewhere and I have uh, an ambassador there, if I go into the embassy, I am now in the country of the United States of America under their sovereignty, kingdom, and rule. If I step back out of the building, I am under the rule and kingdom of Iran and its laws. So we are ambassadors representing the kingdom of God in a hostile environment in a foreign country, this world. See, it's not our home. So I'm speaking as an ambassador for the leadership, the God of, of, of a foreign country, heaven, the kingdom of God. I'm representing that kingdom on earth in a hostile environment. Every believer is. We're all ambassadors. We've been sent to represent this government and to bring good news. God is saying to you and me, I want the world to know about me. And I want them to know about my son, Jesus. I want them to hear about love and mercy and grace and redemption. And I want you to take that message theme to them. I want you to be my ambassador, my representative on this earth. I don't care what your occupation is. All of us have a chance to pray for somebody. All of us have a chance to encourage somebody or to speak words of life to somebody. I'm an ambassador. I'm gonna, I don't care what their denomination is, what their political affiliation is. I remember once several of us uh, back in the old days when some of my friends would work out with me at the gym, we brought our, our instructor was in tears about a family issue. And I said, let's just pray about it. And we gathered around her and we prayed out loud right there in the Concord. Back then they had the Concord. Now I think it's Whataburger. And we prayed, right? We brought the kingdom of God right into that place. It has nothing to do with her religious affiliation at all. We had hoped later that would be the, the, the outcome. But at the moment, we were representing the kingdom of God to her in that gym before our practice. You can do it anywhere. Talk to people all the time, whether it's in school, whether it's privately or in an office, somebody's going through an issue. You can pray with them, give them a word of encouragement. You can text it to them. You're an ambassador. Do something. See, in many ways, we're like strangers in a strange land. Yeah, we're like visitors on foreign soil. This world is not my permanent home. I'm just passing through. I have a passport and citizenship in heaven. But while I'm here, I'm God's ambassador. So you've been given and I've been given a part to play in his eternal plan. He's invited you and me to represent him on this earth and to speak on his behalf so that all may know there is a God who loves them and who gave his life for them. That means when I come up against the enemy or against any problem, I know who I am. I am a son of the living God. I am a part of a royal family, a king, a priest, and a king. I've been given certain rights. I've been given special permission. I've been given power of attorney to use his name. I can sling that name at the enemy anytime I want to. I can bind. I can lose. I can resist the enemy. He will flee from me. I can pray for those that are sick. I can beseech heaven. If two or three of you shall agree, not 5,000, two or three of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they ask, I'll do it. I've got some rights. I am clothed in his righteousness. Satan, you cannot condemn me. You cannot shame me. I am without condemnation. I've been made righteous. And the enemy knows when you know who you are. And he knows when you don't know who you are. And if you don't know, he'll just wipe his feet all over you and limit your potential, although he knows he has no legal right. That's why it's so important to know your rights. You've got to know what your rights are. We celebrate rights in this country. Well, you've got rights as a covenant child of God. Use them. Use them every day, every minute. 
When, when you open your eyes every morning, not only can you say, today I am right with God, you can also say, today I have a position to feel, a, a role to play, a job to do, through my words, my actions, even my attitudes, I will represent Jesus Christ. I'm his ambassador because that's what he's made me to be. This is who you really are, your true identity. See, you may feel like you're a fugitive trying to hide from a bad past. Others may even try to put that label on you. But I know now that I'm in Christ, it will never be counted against me. Nothing in my past ever against me. I am now free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. You can't use the law against me. Jesus took it out of the way by fulfilling it, nailing it to the cross. I have open access to the Father through Jesus Christ, and I am who he said I am. Everything about me is true because it's my real identity. I can remember when Cindy and I used to, were raising our two little girls, and we were just kind of beginning to learn who we were in Jesus. And the church we attended never taught that, that uh, those kind of people were weird, uh, that could bind and loose. And that, I don't know if you remember it, but back then we had pink medicine in the refrigerator, ampicillin. And the girls would get ear infection after ear infection, and people would say, oh, we, hello, the carpool, uh, they got mumps going around at school, you'll probably get it. We got flu going around at school. And I remember in the old days, we'd say, yeah, we probably would. Okay, come on in, mumps, flu. I just would agree. I had no idea. I was a sincere. And then I remember, boy, when that changed, and we said, that's not who we are. That's not the authority we have. We would cover those children in the blood of Jesus. No plague shall come near your dwelling. You will possess the gates of your enemies. I said, I break that curse. They will not come upon my children. I rebuke this infection that's chronic over their ears. I'm sick of buying this pink medicine. And I remember just our first year, Cindy came to me and said, we've cut our medical expenses in half. Now, some of it's just the charge for a checkup. You gotta pay that, right? whether it's a dentist or whatever it is, but we began a process of taking back our rights and using them against the enemy as we more and more understood what rights we had and what our authority was, and we were no longer gonna be victims, but more than conquerors. And we still do it to this very day. I probably do it more today than I've ever done in my life. And you can do the same thing. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.